0: Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're gonna be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God And not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. We're finishing up our sermon series on this New Testament letter that Paul wrote from prison, and he's writing to a real place. We're not talking about Narnia here. This was like a real place on the map. You could go there today to this, to this place called Colossae. It was a real town. There was a group of Christians that were, that were gathering there. And Paul um, apparently never visited Colosse but he heard reports about stuff that they were walking through and wrestling with and so he writes them a letter while he's under house arrest and they get this letter and uh, and uh, just, just we've been going through it because they're in a really, that, that church is in a really similar place as, as our church and every church. It's as, it's as pertinent as it ever has been. And uh, so I've been loving this, circum, this uh, series and I'm bummed to close it up today. But um, tonight, I just want to address something that Paul addresses in his letter. And it's something that I think really, really, really matters. This thing that Paul addresses that we're gonna address, um, it's the reason that many of us became Christ followers in the first place. It's one of the reasons Why you're here is because of what we're going to talk about today. And on the flip side of that, it's also one of the things that's caused many people to reject Jesus and to reject Christianity. It's like a double edged sword in that way. Um, It's the same thing that happens when you watch a movie and you really like the movie and you're trying to explain to somebody else that they should go see the movie. Have you ever, has this ever happened to you before? I've seen plenty of movies and then like I go, I'm like, oh my gosh, you gotta see this movie. There was this guy, his name was Neo, except his name wasn't Neo, it was like, it was Mr. Anderson and there was a bad guy, Smith. And then there was two pills and he took one. And then he like, and then he's just like, oh, he's like, it's all fake and matrix and whoa, and like, whoa, and then bullets and he's stopping them and then he, he dies, but then, ah. And I can just like, I can't even explain the movie, right? Like it just, it was so good, but I can't explain it to someone. And so you just end up kind of botching it a lot of times. You know, I just end up botching it because it's like, oh, you just have to see it. Just forget what I said, just go see the movie, you know? And uh, it's, it, what, what Paul is gonna talk to us about and, and what's so important is a little bit like that. It's, there's something that um, there's, that it has to do with like explaining a movie is the same thing as with sharing your faith, sharing your faith. Classically, what this is called is the scary word called evangelism. Evangelism, sharing your faith. This word evangelism, we, we see that word and we're like, we're like, oh my goodness, evangelism. I'm not sure I know how to do that. Uh, but this this idea of evangelism is this idea of sharing our faith and when it's when at its best at its best evangelism um, is one of the reasons why some of us are here you're here because somebody maybe at some point in your life they shared their, their story they they had a conversation with you or, or you invited you know you you going through a problem and you invited somebody out to coffee and you were like hey what what's, why am I dealing with this and then they then they like opened up some they started a conversation with you about faith that you'd never had before and evangelism sharing their your faith is one of the reasons why why you're here at its best it's it's been so so it's huge in expanding the church and expanding the kingdom at its worst at its worst it's caused a lot of people a lot of people to say man if that's what Christianity is about then I don't want to watch that movie like I I don't I don't want to go there And evangelism has been done well, and it's also been done very poorly. Um, Not all evangelism has been done well, and we need to own that. And so Paul is gonna talk to this church about how to do this well. And so I think it's really important that we talk about this too, because it turns out, how you share your faith, Christians, it matters. It matters, and the reason why I know it matters is because I've talked to people just like you've talked to people, and this is this is uh, not universally true, but that for a lot of people, this is what it's like: is people often dismiss cre- Christianity not because of Jesus, but because of an interaction or interactions that they've had with Christians. That's really sad that what people are actually rejecting isn't Christianity isn't Jesus but it's but it's a but it's like the packaging that they're rejecting it's not the substance that they're rejecting when it, when in reality the substance is exactly what they're hungering for and thirsting for like that's what we need except when it's put in a package that can be off-putting or is confusing that could be one of the things that people decide to to reject and walk away from and so Um, I want to um, talk to the Christians in the room tonight, all right? So if you're not a Christian in the room, you are in the right place. I'm so glad you're here. You're off the hook tonight, okay? Uh, Because this is a conversation that I want to have with Christians in the room. Now, if you're a non-Christian... Like I said, you're in the right place because I have a feeling that what we're about to talk about is of interest to you. In fact, I just want you to be like a fly on the wall and lean in and listen because we're gonna just, as Christians, we're just gonna kind of talk together about, okay, how do we, how do we do this well? Because it, sometimes it isn't done well, and so how do we, as Christ followers, how do we, as West Side Church, how do, how do we share our faith well in, in ways that are productive and not? destructive so I hope you're leaning in because this is a conversation that matters uh, but for us Christians um, listen uh, I want to talk to you because because how we do this really 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 matters so Christians here's the thing here's the thing the reason why the reason why we feel like we are not supposed to keep this news to ourself is because we really do believe that following Jesus, that when when you surrender your life to Jesus, you're actually leaning into the very reason why we're created. That we're leaning into the very reason why we exist that we exist to glorify God. And when God gets glory, we get joy. That's how it works. That's what we really, really believe. We really believe that Jesus came and died for us on the cross and rose again and gave us new life and, and freed us from a life of shackles to our own desires, our own sin. And it's the best news that a human being could ever hear. We really do believe that. And so it would be weird if we kept that kind of news to ourselves. It would be weird if we felt like, you know, uh, we don't wanna... Ah, uh, you know, they don't need to hear this amazing, awesome news. You know, like, we'll just keep it to ourselves. It would be weird if we did that. Actually, we really believe that this is the best news that a human can hear. And so, therefore, we want to be witnesses. And this is what happened in the New Testament. When people met Jesus, instantly, you know what they became? It's a part of following Jesus. It's a part of being a disciple of Jesus. They were witnesses, meaning they went and talked to other people about what they experienced. One, one uh, person I was thinking of was this woman. She's known as the woman at the well. She was, she was uh, not, we don't know a whole lot about this woman, but all we know is that she is desperate. She's thirsty, not just for water. She's thirsty for for companionship. She's thirsty for truth. She's looked everywhere for it. Jesus has this encounter with her. And she doesn't even know much. All she knows is this, this guy had a conversation with her at the well, but there's something different about this guy. And he says, I am the Messiah. I'm the one. I'm the one that you are actually thirsting for. And she goes back and guess what she becomes? A witness. She goes and tells everyone she knew. She knows you have got to come and meet this guy. And you see it all throughout the New Testament. Part of following Jesus, Christians, is we get to be witnesses. Now you get to, we get to be witnesses in all sorts of different ways. It's not a one size fits all approach. That's a little bit of what we're going to talk about tonight, but it's not an option to to sit on the sidelines of being a witness. No, we all get to be called to be a witness. And how do we do this? Well, because some things have gotten in the way and we haven't, Christendom as a, as a whole, just Christianity through the centuries, have, there's some things that we've gotten wrong. And here's just a couple of things that I've seen as a, as a Christian, as a, as a pastor, that when I, look, when I look at where we're at culturally in this moment, I feel I've, I see some threads that have caused us to, to do evangelism in ways that can be potentially harmful and not helpful. So one of the things is this, number one is Christendom. Okay, what I mean by this, this is like a historical term that means that uh, for the first 300 years, Christianity was a grassroots movement. No power, no money, no, you know, like no credibility in the Roman Empire. I mean, it was grassroots and it expanded. It grew everywhere. But then in 315 A.D., there was this guy named Constantine. Constantine becomes, he's the Roman emperor and supposedly he becomes a Christian, And for the very first time, now Christianity, which was grassroots, now becomes like at the top of the empire. Now it has money. Now it has some weight to it. Now it can actually do some things. And there were some great things that happened because of that, but there was also some not great things that happened because of that. And what we see in church history are some of the worst parts of church history is kind of the parts that we wish just weren't there. But when the church has had money, had control, had power. Sometimes it hasn't used those things in Christ-honoring ways. It's been used to coerce, and control, and manipulate, and, and that's, that should grieve all of our hearts. But what happened in Christendom, one of the things that happened was before Christendom, before just that season of time when the church, you know, got big, and you know, in charge, and at the center of culture, before that, it was grassroots. And that means that, that, means that everybody saw themselves as a minister. Everybody saw themselves as like being a witness. But what happened in Christendom was slowly what we see is we see the the position of pastor get elevated and the position of of a congregant, the position of of, somebody that just attends church, that their role gets diminished. To the point now where we're kind of still in this stream a little bit, where a lot of times um, people kind of falsely believe that guess whose job it is in our church to be like the witness for Jesus this guy, right, right here. Or if you're pay, if you're like one of our staff, you know, then, or if you're a small group leader, you know, like if you're, and then it's those people's job. And then the rest of our, the rest of our job, what's our job? T- to show up to church every so often, you know? And, uh, you know, and, and uh, I, I know I said that we can't talk about football. I'm sorry, I've got to use a p- football metaphor, all right? But uh, the way that I like to think of it is, is if you think about a football game, you've got 22 people on the field and you have, Thousands and thousands of people, what, like, you know, 22 people are playing the game and everybody else is like, you go get them. You know, you get after them. And if that's the kind of attitude that we have towards the church when it comes to witnessing, when it comes to, to carrying this, 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 this beautiful message that we have to offer to the world, if we're just depending on a few people on staff and everybody else is like, you get them, pastor, you tell them, guess what? We are not going to get the job done. It's too big, it's too big of a mission. What has to happen is that whole thing has to be inverted. And it's actually one of the the job descriptions that Paul has for ministers of the church. Do you know what Paul says in in the book of Ephesians in his letter to the church in Ephesus? He says, hey pastors, it's your job to equip God's people for acts of service. Meaning that it's supposed to be the other way around. It's supposed to be the, the, the leaders on staff of the church like being in the stands and all of the, everyone else is downplaying the field. And it's our job to say, come on guys, you got it. You can do this, you can do this. Let me help, let me resource you. It's inverted, but Christendom has worked against us. Here's another thing is um, what's happened is there's become a deep mistrust in Christian motives. We find a deep mistrust in Christian motives. Part of that is because Christianity lately, especially has become ingrained with certain political agendas and parties. And because of that, because of that, there's a lot of people that when somebody starts to try to have a spiritual conversation with them about Jesus, they don't hear a spiritual conversation about Jesus. They feel like they're getting roped into some political agenda instead of what it's supposed to be of being invited into a new kind of humanity that the gospel is creating. And when people feel like that they're kind of getting roped into like, they're like, ah, I don't know. It's like, it's a bait and switch, right? Like. And so people push back. Another thing that's happened is, on behalf of, on, because of Christians, a lack of respect for where people are in the process. Sometimes Christians just haven't respected that people are on a journey. That's why, one of, uh, this is why our, our mission statement at West Side is that we, it, we exist to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, what? Step by step. Step by step, because everybody's on a different step. But sometimes Christians haven't respected that. And a classic example would be this. If you're like talking to somebody and they're not a Christian and sometimes Christians think that, you know where I'm gonna get them? I'm just gonna start out with the book of Romans. That's what I'm gonna start out with. You know, like, hey, you're sinning and you got some stuff going on. Let me expound the book of Romans for you. I'm gonna just give you some Romans. The problem with that, is Romans bad? Is it good to talk about scripture with people? Of of course it is. But the problem is you might be talking to somebody and they're like, I don't care what the book of Romans says. Why are you bringing Romans to me? Like I don't I don't even I don't even care. I don't think the Bible's true. So you can't start with Romans if you're talking to somebody who doesn't believe that any of it's true. You've got to take some steps back. You've got to you got to go back a few steps. You maybe you got to go back 20 steps in order to meet them where they're at because people are in a process and sometimes our evangelism efforts fail because we just don't recognize that people are on a journey, that they've got a process and we need to recognize that. Another thing that has happened because of that is we resort to impersonal methods rather than personal relationships. Some of our methods of evangelism have just, they take a really impersonal form and instead of, instead of focusing on personal relationships. And what that means is sometimes we care more about the possible, com, the, the possible conversion rather than the conversation. We care more about the presentation that we're giving rather than the person and that can get us wrong. And then what that leads is to to the last one here, and there's probably lots more, but these are just ones I thought of. Number five is forms of witnessing that are gimmicky, impersonal, and potentially destructive. Sometimes that's just where the church has landed is, hey, instead of building a relationship with that person and entering into a conversation, we're just gonna put up some really cool billboards on our church, you know, and that's gonna get them. I've got some examples for you. You got, you, got some, you got a moment for this? Let's just check out some, some church billboards that are maybe uh, tired of being a loser, turn to God. How effective is this gonna be, do you think? Somebody's gonna be like, oh man, I am tired of being a loser. I'm gonna to go to that church. What's the next one? Uh, got some, oh, this one's classic. To prevent sunburn, use sunscreen. Yes, that's gonna get them. What, what's what's next? Who wants to be a Christian? I don't even know what this means. Like, I have no clue what it what it means. This last one's my favorite because it's it's just man, it's just out there. Go Bush, go! Praise the Lord! Pass the ammo. Yes, that, that's gonna speak to our culture for sure. You know. Um, don't put up the next picture yet, um, Terry, um, but you can, you can make that one go away though. We don't need to learn about Northside Baptist, Baptist Church. Um, but uh, one of the classic ones that, uh, that, that, has, uh, that Christians have resorted to, and it's kind of the perfect example, is they've got, these, they've got these things where on one side of the piece of paper, or maybe just on one side of the piece of paper is what looks like a $20 bill or like a $5 bill. And then, and then on the other side, or if you flip it over, then there's like, it's actually not money. It's like a little, like a gospel tract. You know, it's supposed to tell people about, uh, about Jesus. And so the idea is you just leave that on the ground and then somebody's walking along and they'll be like, what, 20 bucks. And then they pick it up, they turn it over and then they meet Jesus and they give their life to him. Um, this is the idea. Or you, um, or you put it, one part of it, like sticking out of a book in the library, you know? And then somebody goes and it's like, oh, money. And then they pull it out and, oh, Jesus, I'm gonna give my life to Jesus. You know, that's the idea. Um, some people have even, uh, in fact, I got a picture. Check it out. So here's a classic example. $5, you pull it out of the book. Disappointed, Satan also deceives, but Jesus saves. Ah, oh, that's gonna get them. Um, I've even heard stories of Christians sometimes leaving this kind of money as a tip for their server. And so then their server comes and supposedly picks up the bill and says, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go to church. Do you see? Do you see how some now? Hey, listen, so I know I've talked to some people about this because I just I just wouldn't take this approach. But but the argument could be, yeah, but for some people, that's it's that worked. Like for some people, like that's exactly what God used, and like their life got turned around, and they surrendered their life to Jesus. And I and I wouldn't doubt that. Maybe maybe that has worked. My point is this: is that God can use anything, and just because God can use something doesn't mean it's a valid way uh, to engage in, in evangelism. You know. Um, so the idea is is let's let's move back from those impersonal, just kind of gimmicky. <sighs> I don't think our culture needs that right now. What our culture needs is is a person who's alive because of what Jesus has done and what they need is somebody who's willing to dive into their story, to dive into their space as a friend, as a as a comrade, as a as a person that that just because you're a human and I love you and we're and we're in this together. And then in the in the midst of that there's there's gospel intentionality that turns into beautiful conversations that then turn into transformed lives. That's what I think our culture needs. This is how Paul says it to the church in Colossae. You ready to hear what he has to say? Because Paul's words here, it's just a couple of verses, they are dynamite, dynamite. Listen to what he says. He says this, um, pray, I'm going to back up a few verses, and it's going to lead us right there. Listen to Paul says. He says, "Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should." Um, he says, "He says, be wise in the way." Do you have this? Do you have this verse up there? You should have the verse. I just wanna make sure everybody has it. Oh, I'll read it from here. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He's in chains when he's writing this. And then, sorry, he goes to this. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He says, I want to be clear in the way that I proclaim this. That's really important. And then he says this, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Now outsiders is his term. Um, He's talking about people who are outside of the faith, people who are unbelievers. He's not talking about the good people and bad people, like, you know, like we're the good people and they're the bad people. That's not what he's saying. In fact, if anybody knows that, Paul, that, that we're not the good people, it's Paul. That's a part of his theology. He's like, I'm so not good that God's grace for me has transformed me. And so there's no room for, for um, arrogance here in Christianity as we share our faith. There's no room for it. Paul says... Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Meaning meaning that when you have an opportunity to have a conversation, you're building a relationship, he says, hey, that's a beautiful thing. Just lean into that. You You might not be able to have a moment like that for a while. So just anytime you have the opportunity, lean in. Make the most of every opportunity you have. And then here's what he says next. Watch this. He says, let your confrontations always be full of angst simmering with disappointment in people, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. For those of you that, that catch what I'm doing here, I totally lied to you. That is not what the Bible says, all right? Um, that's not what Paul says at all, all right? So if you got your Bible, you know I, I almost got you. But listen, here's what he says, here's what he says. Watch, he doesn't say that. He says this, let your conversation be always full of what? Grace. Let your conversation, not your confrontation, let your conversation be always full of, that Greek word full, do you know what it means? It means full. Full, let your conversation always be full Full, like full, like picture when you, when you put a cup, when you got a cup and you fill it with water and you know how it's like at the top, like it's so full that there's not a lot of room for like anything else. Like you gotta be careful how you walk around to, to take it where it needs to go because it's so full, it's gonna spill. He says, let your conversations be always full of what? Grace, grace. Let it be full of grace, seasoned with salt, This is interesting to me because I feel like where we've got it wrong when it comes to evangelism is a lot of times for many Christians, their conversations slash confrontations with people are full of salt with a little bit of grace. That's how the evangelical church often, unfortunately, approaches these important conversations. Full of salt, meaning you're bad man, you really need, you're so bad, you need Jesus. Like you're, you're just like, you really need, you just, come on. So just, just, if you could just get your act together, then, you know, and just, and then if you could just get some forgiveness, then, you know, you can be a part of our group. Then, you know, you can, you can be a part of the family. You know, a lot of times our conversation in evangelism is full of salt with a sprinkle of grace. And you notice what Paul does here. It's brilliant and so helpful. He says, let your conversations be full of Grace, seasoned with some salt. What does that mean? I don't know exactly. You got to work that out on your own. It's like grace, but but like like, but also there's like there's a distinctiveness there. There's like there's that's like Jesus talked other places about the salt of the earth. Like it's like there's something. It's not just it's 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 grace. It's full of grace, but seasoned with salt. Why? So that you may know how to answer everyone. So you can know how to, how to answer everyone. Um, that's, that's what Paul says. Let me just pull out a couple of practical things. And then um, Christians, I just want to help. I, not that I'm an expert at this. Um, but I feel like I've learned some things in my years of just having conversations with people and walking people through, you know, taking, figuring out what step they're at and helping them take that next step. Here's just some things that I've learned. These are just helpful things that I have for you. Uh, number one is this, is you can't have personal and impactful conversations with unbelievers if you don't know any. Now, this might sound really obvious, but... It's just something that you got to acknowledge. Something that you got to say is you can't have personal impactful conversations with believers if you don't know any. And one of the things that happens to Christians, and it's not bad, is when you follow Jesus, you get a new community. You get a new family. It's really cool. And now suddenly, like, people are your brothers and sisters, and there's this, like, camaraderie that happens. It's beautiful. And we lean into that community. But what can happen sometimes is in the process of leaning into that community, we, we don't make any effort to meet people who are not in that community. Or we don't put ourselves in intentional places. Or, or we're not, you know, we're just not open to, like, other relationships with non-believers, with people that don't believe. And so all of our friends become Christians. And like I said, that's not a bad thing to have a Christian friends. But... You know where that can lead us sometimes? Is now I never get to have any impactful conversations with any unbeliever. Why? Because I haven't met one in a really long time, you know? And that's a problem, that's a problem. When I moved here to eight years ago, I just, um, I, I felt like, you know what, I'm new and I, uh, I could use a little supplemental income but mostly I just wanna put myself in a place where I can meet some non-Christians. So I worked at Starbucks. For the first year of pastoring Westside, I worked at the West 11th Starbucks. And I just, and I didn't tell them I was a pastor because that ends conversations really, really fast when you're starting a re- relationship with people, you know? Um, but I just, you know, like, I just, I'm building relationship. Um, why? Because I'm like trying to make them all become Christians. Well, I mean, <laughs> I want them to follow Jesus, but you know what? You know what I lead with? Is that I just lead with, you're a human being, And I care about you. And I just, we're going to work together. And in so many conversations, so many things happened. Even just out of that year of working at Starbucks, all the people that I met. If you don't have something in your life to, that's pushing you into those relationships, then you need it. For some of you, you work with all non-Christian people and you've got tons of non-Christian friends. Well, that's good. Maybe you need to lean into your Christian community a little bit more, because maybe you feel lost in some, of those, in, some of, in, in that community. Maybe you need more. I don't, I don't know where, what your story's at, but the point is this, is we need to have both in our lives. Here's, here's the next one, is um, you, uh, to make a conversation effective, guess what? You actually need to care. You actually have to care. Your conversation with someone can't be just like your attempt to try to present the gospel to them um, because they'll smell that a mile away. You know, they become a notch on your belt. They become like, like a target for you and people can sense when they're like a target for you. So don't treat people like that. You know, what? Where we're, the best place for us to start is, I care about you. I care about you. Even if you never come to my church, even if, even if I never get to have like that, that spiritual conversation that I'm hoping to have, you matter. You matter. You matter to me. You matter to God. It's incredible when you start with that, what opportunities that opens up. When people know how much you care, then they'll be interested to know about how much you know about other things. Uh, here's the next one. Is number three is your story is so powerful. Your story is so powerful. So powerful. Um, You might not be able to expound on the book of Romans with a friend that you're trying to reach. You might not be able to have that chance with them, but you know what you do have in your arsenal that is probably the best thing that you have is you just have your story. You have your story. Do you have a story to tell? I feel like sometimes Christians don't have a story to tell others is because you, you haven't thought about your story. You need to think about your story. I think about mine. I think about, I grew up in a Christian home. I loved Jesus from early age, but do you know what I had to be rescued, what I had to be rescued from when I was in high school? It wasn't my badness because I wasn't like getting drunk or like doing all the things that like supposedly the bad kids did. Do you know what I need to be rescued from? My self-righteousness. I need to be saved from My religiosity. I thought I was better than everybody else because I didn't go to the parties, because I didn't do this, because I wasn't, you know, with the girls or whatever. And I thought I was pretty great. And you know what? You can get just as lost there as anywhere else. That's why the story of the prodigal sons is a story of two sons. The younger brother lost in his rebellion and the older brother lost in his righteousness. God wants to rescue us from both. And for a long time, I didn't feel like I had a testimony because, man, when I share my story... Like, I I don't have that story where I was like that guy that joined a gang and I was deep into drugs. And you know, like we've all heard those stories, you know, the stories of like people that get radically saved from like crazy lifestyles. And it's like, man, that's a testimony. And so I just never really wanted to tell my testimony. I thought I had a lame testimony until I started meeting people who are just like me. It's lost in their righteousness, lost in their goodness. And so suddenly now I feel like I've got a testimony to share. What's your testimony? What's your story? You got a story to tell, and your story is so so powerful. And all of our stories are different. We need all kinds of stories. You never know how your story can impact somebody in a way that my story can't impact somebody. Uh, Number four is this: is you got to show them the quality of your faith by the quality of your life. Got to show them the quality of your faith by the quality of your life. Jesus did this. Jesus came with two things in his ministry. He came in what's called word and deed. He came and preached, he had amazing things to say, but he didn't just talk, he actually like lived it out. He walked it out, he came in word and deed. And likewise, in our lives, we can't just come with word. If you just come with words and your life isn't, like, match, isn't matching it, then your words are gonna fall short. But if you just come with deed, if it's like all deed, and by deed, I just mean like, like good works, like, like good character, that's incredible. But if you come with that, but then there's no like explanation of where your hope comes from, then you might be friends with somebody for 20 years and they think you're awesome, but they still don't, they haven't heard where that's coming from with you. There, there's gotta be some word and deed together. That's what Jesus did. And that's what we have to do Christians is we can't just come with word, we have to come with deeds. And do you guys know the early church? The early church, they, you know what they were known for? It wasn't their words necessarily because they didn't have like a platform. They didn't have like this place where they could go and you know, share the, the good news about Jesus. Do you know how the Christians won over the world in those first few centuries? They just lived such radical countercultural lives that the world stopped and said, can I read something to you? I read this a couple times a year, so it's time for me to read it at Westside again. What we have is we have this letter, this called the letter to Diognetus. It's from the year, I think, 120 or 130 A.D., And it's these two people who are talking to each other about these crazy Christians that they've met. What's the deal with these Christians? We meet them all over the place. They're like spreading out in the Roman empire. What are they doing? Like what what makes them so unique, so special? And they're writing letters to each other. We have this letter. Can we just get a little inside look as to just what people thought of Christians back then? Let me read it to you. Here's what they say. They say this, Christians are not distinguished from other men by country, language, nor by the customs which they observe. They do not inhabit cities of their own or use a particular way of speaking, nor lead a life marked out by by any curiosity. The course of conduct they follow has not been devised by the speculation and deliberation of inquisitive men. They do not, like some, proclaim themselves the advocates of merely human doctrines. Instead, they inhabit both Greek and barbarian cities. However, things have fallen to each of them. And it is while following the customs of the natives in clothing, food, and the rest of ordinary life that they display to us their wonderful and admittedly striking way of life. Do you hear what he said there? It's just like in, like in normal life, they're kind of like everybody else, and yet they're not like everybody else. They're so different. Their way of life is striking. They live in their own countries, but they do so as those who are just passing through. As citizens, they participate in everything with others, yet they endure everything as if they were foreigners. Every foreign land is like their homeland to them, and every land of their birth is like a land of strangers. They marry like everyone else, and they have children, yet they do not destroy their offspring. They share a common table, but not a common bed. There was a distinct sexual ethic that the early church had that just marked them out from everyone else. They exist in the flesh, but they do not live by the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, all the while surpassing the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and then restored to life. They are poor yet make many rich. They lack everything yet they overflow in everything. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor, they are glorified. They are spoken ill of and yet are justified. They are reviled but blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good and yet are punished as evildoers. And when punished, they rejoice as if rape from the dead. They are assailed by the Jews as barbarians, they are persecuted by the Greeks, yet those who hate them are unable to give any reason for their hatred. Wow, That's incredible. This the world just stepped back and said, "Man, they're not just coming with words. Like these people just live differently. They live differently. Man, I hope that that could be our story as we share our faith, as we are witnesses with others. Um, I, need to, I need to close, but I, um, I, I do want to, uh, I want to hit these last two really quick. Number, number five is have a plan for clearly and succinctly explaining the gospel. Because maybe you've never thought about, hey, if somebody gave me 30 seconds, what would I say? How would I explain this whole thing? you know? And it could be like that moment where you're explaining a movie and you're like, well, there's this Jesus, but he was like also God and the Holy Spirit. Like, just don't get into the Trinity if you've got 30 seconds, okay? Because it's just like you're just, you know, you're going to get confused and it's going to go off the rails, you know? It's just it's like you got to think through like what, what part of the story am I going to tell? And you could say something like this. You could say, hey, God created the world with purpose, but our sin and our rebellious pride separated us from him and he has done everything. Everything in His power to be reconciled um, to back to us, and what Jesus ultimately did was He died for our sin in our place, so that we could be set free from our own destructiveness and our own rebelliousness. And what He did is He rose from the dead, so that He could give us new life. And because of that, after that, He gave us His Spirit, so that we would have power to please Him and obey Him. And He's going to give. A, and what He does is He gives us a new hope, a new family, a new community, a new identity, a new purpose, and. When this life of purpose is over, we get to be with him and rule and reign as kings and priests in a new heaven and a new earth. You could say something like that. And that might not mean anything to them. But at least you know what it, you know what it looks like? It's like, man, that sounds cool. Like that, I don't know if I believe that, but like, that sounds intriguing. And then who knows where that conversation goes. Lastly, is don't stress out. Don't stress out. Sometimes Christians get so stressed out and I think the reason why we get stressed out when it comes to evangelism is we focus on these two questions is did we share and did they pray the prayer. Did we did we share and did we pray the prayer sometimes we just get so focused on that we think that every time we have a conversation with someone that we've got to like share the gospel and that we've got to get them to a place where they share their where they where they pray the prayer the sinner's prayer and they become Christians and we get so focused on like making that be the thing that we're shooting for because we've all heard the story of the guy who gets on the airplane and sits next to somebody and by the time the plane lands man shared the gospel prayed the prayer tongues of fire came down and, you know, like revival happened. And it was like, oh, we hear those stories. And when, when we make that the success, and we just set ourselves up to just be really disappointed sometimes when it comes to some of our conversations that we have. So don't stress out. Don't stress out. Um, I gotta, I'm going to close with this story. Band, come back. Actually, just Olivia, come back up, wherever you are, Olivia. The, oh, there you are. I'm, come on back up. Um, this last story is probably I think one of the most helpful things that I've encountered in the scriptures when it comes to sharing your faith. And it comes from this famous thing that Jesus said um, where he talked about, he told a parable about the sower and the seeds. It's a really familiar one, but it's this idea of Jesus says, he tells this parable about how like God is sowing these beautiful seeds and he's putting these seeds out onto the soil, but there's different kinds of soil. There's some soil that's hard, and so the seed isn't gonna take root, birds come and steal it. There's other soil that like looks like it's good, but it's shallow. And so it's just never gonna like actually gonna grow. And then there's there's other soil that has weeds in it. And so the so the seed springs up quick, but the weeds choke it. And so nothing ever grows, but th- there's good soil. There's a fourth kind, there's, a, there's good soil. It's ready for the seed. You put the seed there and it grows. Jesus tells this awesome parable. And I find it so helpful. I find it really, really helpful because one of the takeaways from that story is this is you know what what's uh, who's who's the sower in that story? It's God. And who and what's the seed? It's like the gospel. It's like the the best gospel presentation you could ever give. Like if Jesus showed up to West Side tonight and he was like right here, man, he would share the gospel like nobody else, right? But here's the thing. Even if Jesus showed up and shared the gospel, not everybody would believe. Because it isn't just dependent on the presentation. It's dependent on if the soil is ready. Do you see this? It depends on the soil. It isn't, so you could have the best gospel presentation. You could, have, you could say all the right things. And yet that, per, that person's soil, it might not be ready might not be ready. Do you know what most evangelism happens like nowadays? A lot of times is we forget that people uh, that people's hearts are in a process and that there's different kinds of soil. And we just think if we just like throw more seeds at them, if we just like hit them more with like gospel presentations or some really cool Christian stickers, or you know, like if we just like keep throwing seeds at them, you know, like they're gonna get it. Like Olivia, come on, like you're not getting it yet. I have never done this in church before and it's so fun. Yeah. Come on, Olivia, you believe, believe I'm sharing the gospel with you. See, like that's not going to that's, that's work because it doesn't matter like with the seeds that I throw. It doesn't matter like the, how good I present. Do you know what this parable tells me is, you know what people need a lot of times? They don't need more seeds. They need somebody to come alongside, alongside them in their life and just be one of the people to just work on the soil because you might not be, get to be the one that pray, prays the prayer. Maybe you will, that'd be beautiful. That'd be so cool. But you know what, chances are, you might get to be one of those people that at some point in their life, you came along as a friend and you just helped with that soil. And they moved on and somebody else came, some other Christian came and they got to work on the soil too. And it wasn't until much later that finally the seed took root. I don't know if Darrell Farr is in the room tonight, but I was talking to Daryl. He's one of the guys at our church. He's an older gentleman. I was t- I was, he was telling me his story and I, I come to learn that he became a Christian when he was 70 years old. He had heard the gospel so many times and it wasn't until he was 70 that finally his heart was ready. The gospel finally made sense and he surrendered his life to him. You never know. You never know the impact that you get to have on people. You might not be the one that prays the prayer, but you certainly get to be the one to till the soil. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? So pressure's off. You don't have to have the best presentation. One of the best things that you can do is come alongside, be a friend, cultivate that soil, work on the heart, be close and near, be a witness, however you can. And God's gonna use it. God's gonna use it. God's going to use it. Our world needs this. Our world needs this. Our world needs this. I'll pray, Father. Um, just help us, uh, help us learn how to do this well, because we uh, we want to be witnesses. And we, I guess, Lord, I, I guess I just want to say, we we apologize for weird evangelistic tactics that just focused on just an impersonal kind of gimmicky thing. Lord, we just we just know that that's. That kind of stuff, you can use it for sure, but Lord, you've called us to something higher and better. You've called us to do what you did at Christmas, that we're gonna celebrate next week, that you came as a person so that you could come near and close to us. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. And this becomes the missional model for all of us as Christ followers. We come in close, we come in near. We are reassuringly similar, but then yet we are surprisingly different because you have made us new. Lord, we pray that we would live that way and act like they, Lord, I I pray for Westside, our church, that we would just, that we'd be marked by this, that we would do this well, that we would have conversations that would just become so life-giving and we would help people take whatever steps they need to take. And ultimately, Lord, we pray that they would see you clearly and surrender their lives to you because that's what we were made for. That's where we find our hope and our joy and our freedom. So Father, help us do it. Spirit, empower us, fill us. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Went a little bit over our time this this morning or this evening. Uh, Hey, would you stand to your feet? Um, I hope that was helpful. Um, I just want to encourage us, empower us to just go be witnesses. Amen. Can we do that? Go be a witness, whatever that means in your life, in your context. And as we close, I want us to say the Lord's prayer together. May it shape us and form us and, and make us new. Let's, uh, let's put it up here and let's read it together. Ready, go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen, amen. Hey guys, I'm gonna dismiss us, but hey, over here, there's a sign that says prayer. Mike and Kathy are over here. Listen, you might know Mike and Kathy, but listen, I would trust Mike and Kathy with my life (laughs) and they're trustworthy. And if you need prayer for anything, you're just going through something, just come on over. They would love to pray with you. They would just love to come alongside you, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever. Just don't miss out on an opportunity if you need that tonight, okay? Otherwise, otherwise, come back for the first week of Advent next Sunday. Cannot wait for that. Uh, So let's go and be the hands of Jesus in our world. Amen? Amen.